Luke chapter 2. This is what we do here at Woodland Hills Church. Uh, we just go verse by verse studying the Bible, and sometimes we don't even go verse by verse. We hover on the same verse, our same verses for weeks on end. This is like our, what, third or fourth week on Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 39. And that's not the most exciting, pizzazz, flamboyant way to study the Bible and to preach, I suppose. But we're not into pizzazz or flamboyance, are we? We're not into flamboyance, are we? <laughs> Good, because I'm in trouble. I can, I can be flamboyant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, we just believe in systematically chewing on the Word and mining it. These three verses here, when I first looked at it, I thought, there's nothing preachable there. Uh, but man, now we're on our third or fourth week, and, and there's just, there's just... God is using Anna... For me, anyways, it's sort of a, a, a hero to model. Uh, she's become kind of a, a, a microcosm of the church. She's inaugurating the kingdom, and, and like everyone else in this narrative, she in her own way puts on display what the kingdom is all about. And so I've really kind of fallen in love with this, this Anna gal. Uh, she's just uh, fascinating to me. So we're just kind of looking at her life. In fact, I want to title this series, now that I'm four weeks into it, uh, I, I'm going to have a title for it. And I want to call it something like The Church of St. Anna. The Church of St. Anna. Uh, we're, we're becoming Catholic, all right? This is the Church of St. Anna. St. Anna's Church. Church of St. Anna. And uh, we're looking at different aspects of what a Church of St. Anna looks like. And by the way, I know there are some, I've got a little feedback on this, that you shouldn't call anyone a saint. Uh, some people have a rule about that. Don't call anyone a saint. But look it. The Bible says we're all saints. And if we're all saints, then Anna is a saint. So I can call her St. Anna if I want to. <laughs> And I'm St. Gregory, so yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. St. Gregory is now going to, St. Gregory of St. Paul will now speak on St. Anna of Jerusalem in the temple. Okay, here's what the verse says. <laughs> I'm having fun. All right. There was an, also a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived in, with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84, which is when this passage is happening. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. So she probably got married when she was around 13. Her husband died when she was around 20. She's now 84. So 64 years, this lady's been in the temple, never leaving, just worshipping night and day, fasting and praying. God was on her, and so she, uh, by the Spirit, came up to them, Mary and Joseph, as they were dedicating their child. And she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Uh, we've noticed a couple weeks ago that Anna was a woman. And uh, that's just something about the body of Christ. She was a woman who was used by God to prophesy, which is simply speaking the word of God authoritatively and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to whoever's listening, including men. And what that told us is that God's ideal is to have uh, all people, women included, operating out of their giftedness and their calling, no ifs, ands, and buts. And uh, uh, the kingdom is not to be a, a place where the ordinary social customary walls and barriers and restrictions apply. And then we noticed last week that Anna was a worshiper. I guess this is the third week in the series now. Uh, Anna was a worshiper, which tells us that the body of Christ, the kingdom that Anna is helping to uh, inaugurate, is a kingdom that is centered on worship. That's why we put such a high priority on worship. Uh, worship is our pipeline, our umbilical cord to the Almighty, if you will. Uh, here's where the life of God just flows into us. And now, th this morning, I want to focus on another facet of Anna. I actually 
uh, wasn't planning on, on uh, preaching on this. In fact, I didn't even really notice this until Friday, flying home from Los Angeles, as I'm putting the finishing touches on my sermon. Uh, as sometimes happens, it, it irritates me, but God keeps on doing it. He's sometimes an irritating God. Uh, he changes plans at the last minute. And, uh, and, and I noticed something I hadn't noticed before, and then that kind of grew to be a, the sermon in and of itself. I want to talk about the solitude the aloneness, the secrecy, if you will, the hiddenness of Anna as a kingdom person. Anna is a, a microcosm of the church, and she had this incredible life that was lived almost entirely in solitude. Imagine this. This woman for 60-plus years has been inside a building. and She may have uh, had a resident outside. She went home to sleep or something. But, but her life was spent inside the walls of the temple. And all she did there all the time was pray and worship and fast. And when the Holy Spirit came on her in a particular way, she prophesied. That's what she did, always right there. They had services in the temple for one hour, three times a day, and people from the town would, would come and, and be part of that service. They would pray, and the priest would offer sacrifices and whatnot. And Anna would always be there. Whoever got to that service first, they weren't first because there's Anna in the front row. That lady is always right there. This is, you always knew that Anna was going to be there. Regardless of what was going on outside of the temple, you know, there was a real turbulent period. Israel and, and the Romans were constantly fighting back and forth. And, and uh, sometimes there would be like outbreaks of squabbles and people would get crucified. And, and it would be real turbulent and the, the, the streets would be buzzing with all sorts of political talk. But Anna... Regardless of whether things were going well outside the temple or hostile outside the temple, Anna was there. Instant in season, out season. Whatever the weather was, whatever the circumstances, she was a rock. And then after the worship service, the prayer time, when people left, Anna would get up and she'd just go back to doing what she always did. I don't know if she had a special room or if she walked the halls of the temple or what, but she'd just go back to praying and to worshiping, and, and as the Lord would lead her, she'd fast, and, and then when the Lord would come upon her, she'd prophesy if someone was there. But that's what this woman did, 60-plus years. That's just amazing. This woman apparently had no children, because if she would have had children, she could have never have made this commitment at a young age uh, to spend all her time in, in the temple. Had no children. She never got remarried. She had no you know, human companionship in that way. She uh, didn't have any extraordinary gifts that we know about. She wasn't a teacher who impacted the world and made a great impression on anybody. In fact, in all probability, as a Jewish woman in the first century, uh, she probably was entirely uneducated. Uh, probably couldn't read or write. She never got into politics, never wrote a intell an intellectual book that impressed people, uh, you know, never wowed crowds. She never did anything which by the world standards we would call being successful or, or, or making a difference. And yet this woman in this passage is clearly highlighted as being a hero. It's because she's a hero, because she's a success in God's eyes that God blesses her by allowing her to be one of the few that is there to have their eyes open to see the Christ child be born into this world. And one of the very few who are allowed to be part of the inauguration of this wonderful kingdom, this kingdom movement that we are all a part of here this morning. She was a blessed woman. She's held up as being a hero. But she wouldn't be a hero by any ordinary standards of the world. In fact, honestly... By contemporary standards anyways, I think we would be inclined to see her life as rather pathetic. 
I mean, how sad, what a tragedy that this woman had to be alone all this time in the temple and, and, and she didn't do anything with her life. That would be kind of a contemporary analysis. You know, she, she never got out there and mixed it up with people and, and, and had no namesake to pass on. And she never knew the joy of, of raising children and having, you know, throughout most of her life, uh, male companionship. And, and all the ways that we would count being a winner in the world, Anna was a loser. And yet, the Bible clearly holds her up as being a hero. A hero. Our heroes aren't like Anna, are they? Our heroes are the people that are well-known. The people, the, the celebrities... The people who get, you know, their face on Time Magazine or Cosmopolitan or Vanity Fair or uh, Teen Magazine or whatever other magazines are out there. Those are the heroes of our culture. They're the extraordinarily beautiful people. Uh, the, someone name me a beautiful woman out there. That's other than my wife. A famous beautiful woman. <laughs> Julia Roberts. Who else? Ellie, I heard a Spider-Man, someone said. Yeah, he's, he's not tracking with me. A Angela Jolie. And, and, then, and, and then there's the male version, the Brad Pitts. You know, these stunningly good-looking people. And, and, they got, and the people with talent, they're our heroes. The people who can sing really good, they're our heroes. The people who win on American Idols, they're our heroes. You know, the, 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 the people who are the movers and shakers who make a difference in the world that impact people, that wow people. Uh, we, we, those are our kind of heroes, and Anna isn't any of those things. In our culture especially, it's those people who are so sexy. You know, they're, they're part of our heroes. The only heroes that are left in the world that have any character requirement are the war heroes. Uh, other than that, think about it. There's no character qualifications. You just happen to be equipped with, you know, the right stuff, the right talent, the right personality, the, uh, you know, the, the right voice or, or the right sports, athletic, you know, gifts or whatever. And they qualify as heroes. That's where the culture is. I don't think in, in religious circles, in the church circles, it's really that much different. We have our own heroes. And maybe it's not being sexy or, or necessarily having a good voice, though having a good voice sometimes helps. But in religious circles, we have our own kind of heroes. It's, it's the, the people with the super personalities who've just got that charisma. And, and, and uh, you know, they can pack auditoriums and they, they, they impress crowds and, and they write these books that just, you know, sell millions. And, and uh, uh, you know, th th there's just something extraordinary about them. And, and in religious circles, we tend to say, oh, they're, they're just so used by God and they're so close to God and their prayers count more than our prayers and there's a special anointing on their life. And we tend to spiritualize something of the world's criteria of success and say that they're heroes. But Anna is none of those things. See, what we need to see here is that, that, that God doesn't think like, 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 like we think. Our, God's criteria of success is not like our criteria of success. Even a couple weeks ago in the newspaper, they had this, some of you read this, uh, this article on successful churches. And they talked about the church that has the biggest auditorium and the church that has the most attendance and the church that, you know, has the kind of the, the most, uh, they serve coffee from Starbucks, you know, and, and they have uh, holders and, and, and they, they, you know, and the church that has the biggest membership and there's all these kind of criteria. And bless, I'm not preaching against that. If that's what you're called, do do it. But what's interesting is that that is the criteria for success. It's how big you are, how much you can wow, how much you can impress, how, you know, the, the, the plans that you got that just, you know, change people and, and move society or whatever. And Anna does none of that. God doesn't measure success necessarily the way we measure success. Anna is a hero for one reason and one reason only. And that is because she was exactly where God called her to be. She obeyed the Lord. And she is a hero in every sense of the world. Because, you see, God, 
uh, you know, God is, if you will, an odd God. If God doesn't seem odd to you, you're not thinking accurately about God. Because if you understand God and you understand the kingdom, all of your natural presuppositions about everything are going to be turned on their head. It's all upside down. The greatest, the, the wild people, they can be the least. The least, they can be the greatest. Those who serve are greater than those who, who are, are, are waited on. Um, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Everything is upside down. God really doesn't care how pretty you are. Now, bless you if you're pretty. You know, I, I'm pretty handsome myself, so I know I'm in the same boat as you. But, but you know, uh, but, but that's just, he doesn't care what he cares. He doesn't care how pretty you are, how stunningly good looking you are, wonderful, praise God, use it for the kingdom if you can. Um, but uh, what he cares about is, are you walking in faithfulness to him? And how big your house is really doesn't matter to him. What are you doing for the kingdom? And, uh, uh, you know, whether you got a nice yacht that you own and whether you're successful financially by the world standards, that, nothing wrong with that. Bless you for it. If that's your gift, use it for the kingdom. But that's not a criteria of success in and of itself. What you do with it, how you obey God, how you walk with God, that's what matters. And how many people know you and how, what kind of star you are in the culture is utterly, 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 did I say utterly, utterly irrelevant? Utterly irrelevant to God. Uh, what matters is not who knows you, but does God know you? Does God know you? And are, do you know God? And are you walking in faithfulness to him? Anna was a stellar success. For all I know, she could have been one of the greatest heroes, maybe the greatest hero in, 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 all, of kingdom, in all of kingdom history. We won't know that until we get to heaven. I, a couple of years ago, was down in Mexico. Uh, we, we go there every year with our small group and uh, have a vacation and a getaway. And... Um, uh, we took a tour of this town, this kind of peasant town, and there's this big cathedral in the middle of this peasant town, and I walked into the cathedral, and it was all empty except for a little old lady in the front, or the second pew, and she just was there praying, she had a rosary, and she was just praying, and I wondered, is this what she does all day long? Maybe it is. And then all of a sudden it occurred to me that for, to, for all I know, I don't know this, I don't know a thing about the woman, but, but for all I know, when I get to heaven, she's going to be the su superhero of all time. Uh, she may, it may be that I and, and, and you and, and Joel Olstein and, and Billy Graham and Rick Warren and, and uh, everyone, that, that, w that we are second, third, fourth, tenth chair, if you will, away from this little old lady. Why? Because it may be that she was doing what God called her to do more passionately than I'm doing it or you're doing it or, or anyone else is doing it. And that's how God measures success. How authentic are you? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you just doing what, what God calls you to do? And if you are, it really doesn't matter who knows it or who doesn't know it, how the world measures it, whether it's spectacular by world standards or absolutely uh, not worthy of any attention by world standards. It just doesn't matter. What matters is that you're doing what God calls you to do. Now, I want us to become St. Anna Christians. I want this to be a St. Anna church. And there's two principles right now I want to bring out about St. Anna. Uh, as we kind of hold her up as a model for our life and for the church. Principle number one is this. St. Anna Christians strive for service rather than, quote-unquote, success. Strive for service rather than success. Let me flesh this out a little bit. This last week, I had the privilege of going to this ministry in inner-city Los Angeles. Um, it was called the Dream Center. Have any of you heard of the Dream Center? Uh, yeah, some of you know about it. I'd never heard of it, and I uh, went out there. Uh, they asked me to preach at a service. I'll tell you this. It, it is, so far in my, I'm very young, so in my short life, um, 
it, is the, it was, honestly, the purest uh, expression of the kingdom I've yet seen. Uh, it was breathtaking. Uh, I, they gave me a tour of the place and, and, and to see the various ministries and to talk to some people. Uh, they, are, they are feeding 30,000 people a week. Uh, they have these, uh, these buildings that they just, by God's miraculous power, got a hold of, and they transformed a hospital into this room where they house homeless people, and they house people that are trying to get off of drugs, and they got a special place for, for women who are trying to get out of prostitution, and, and another place for runaway teenagers, and another school for, for kids who have just uh, not only been you know, thrown out of their house, but thrown out of the state system. When, when no one else wants these people, the Dream Center is there, and it was just beautiful. I mean, it, it, it blew me away. It just blew me away. Since they've been in this neighborhood, uh, it, it, it was founded in the, the, the neighborhood that had the highest crime rate in all of Los Angeles, and that's saying something. And they've lowered the crime rate 73% in the last eight years. You see? Amen. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. This is how the kingdom changes the world. You know, we trust power under rather than power over. Now, I got to meet the, the, the pastor and, and uh, his associate and some other people, and, and they're just kids. Uh, they started this thing when they were 20, 21 years old, and they've been there 11 years now, and so now they're 32 and 31. And I got a chance to meet with them, and here's the most incredible thing I, I heard. When they went to Los Angeles, they just felt led to go there, and they got a group around them to go and start a ministry. And they, they never went to college, never went to seminary, didn't have any education, uh, but they thought they should kind of cover their base, and they, they sat with some of the gurus of uh, you know, building a church and a ministry and, and got some advice. And they started, the guy said, uh, they started tr by trying to be, have a successful ministry. That was their goal, have a successful ministry. And for three years, it just flopped. Nothing happened. Nothing worked. In fact, most of the original team left out of discouragement. And finally, through that discouragement, almost despair, God brought them to the place where they were just saying, God, what are we supposed to do? And finally, turning from the books and just going to the Lord and saying, what do you want us to do? And the word they got from the Lord was this, don't try to be a success. Just serve. Just serve. And then God raised up this verse in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, where it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth to go about doing good. <laughs> doing good. It's that simple. Uh, and in doing good, then freeing people from demonic oppression. The whole thrust of the anointing of the kingdom, the whole plan of salvation, if you will, everything Jesus was about can be summarized by this incredibly simple phrase. You don't need to know original Greek or Hebrew to get this one down. Do good. <laughs> Just do good. Just serve. Just listen to God, and as he tells you uh, where he leads you, as he guides you, just do that. Just serve. So they said, Lord, how, how, what, what do you want us to serve? In fact, they got this wonderful analogy. I love this one. Um, th this will be in a separate sermon sometime. But uh, uh, I got time to, okay, real quick. But the, the Lord told Matt, the senior pastor there, he said, um, how many farmers do you know sow seed on the freeway? And his answer is, well, none. It's pretty dumb. And then the Lord said, then what are you doing trying to evangelize people without serving them? Because people's hearts are cement. The church has given them reasons to not to believe, has, has hardened their hearts. They've got all the cynicism towards everything you say. And you go out there and pass out tracts or try to witness to people. You're sowing seeds on, on cement. 
What you got to do is turn the cement into fertile ground. And the way you do that is by loving them. And the way you love them is by sacrificing for them. Just open your eyes and start serving. Just start coming under them. And then when the time is right, you know, when the time is right, if it ever arises, that, then you share the good news of Jesus Christ. But don't do it in order to get to the bottom lines. That's what Christians do a lot. You know, we'll do a good deed, but, but, but then at the end of it, it's like, okay, now you believe in Jesus. You know, now you sign the dotted line. No, don't do it for ulterior reasons because, you know, you, you want them to agree with you on the, theologically or whatever. You do a good deed because it's a good deed to do. Be a good deed doer. And it's an end in and of itself. And God has wired it into the fabric of creation and wired it into the fabric of the kingdom that, that those good deeds, those acts of service when we bleed for other people, that's the way that you put, you expand the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. And whether you get a person to believe in Jesus or not, uh, you know, th- th- that's not the criteria in and of itself for whether or not you're doing kingdom work. You're doing kingdom work, whatever happens. You're leaving the world a better place, whatever happens. You're, you're expanding the love of Jesus Christ, whether they end up agreeing with you or not. But as a matter of fact, a lot of people end up, you know, coming into the faith when you've won the right to speak into their life. By, by doing good deeds. And so they just, they, they, they said, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? Good deed, what? And they just felt the Lord was saying, open your eyes. So they opened their eyes, and right in front of them is a park. In the inner city, the poorest, uh, or at least the most crime-ridden uh, uh, section of Los Angeles, it's where all the prostitutes and all the drugs and everything else that is not good uh, was, was taking place. And they looked at this park, and, they, and they've been trying to talk to these people, and nothing's been happening. So they said, well, here's something good. The place is a mess. I mean, you got garbage everywhere. It's just because the city doesn't take care of it. And no one takes care of it. So let's take care of it. And so they just adopted that park. And they said, okay, we're going to just, uh, we feel called of God to keep this park clean. So they got some garbage bags and they just started picking up garbage. And for two days they picked up garbage. And then they, they would sweep the streets around there. And they just began to just do that. And sometimes people would say, what are you doing? Do you, are you working for the city? And they said, no, we're, we're just, we think this is a good thing to do. It's kind of messy. Don't you think it's messy? Would you like to join us? And other people started helping picking up the park. And then they expanded and they adopted a couple more blocks just to say, Let, let's keep this thing, you know, let's keep this area clean. Two guys and then some other people just doing good deeds. Eight years later, they're, they're, they're giving meals to 30,000 people. Now that would look like an amen. That, that, that's how God works. Now their ministry looks like a success. But what they constantly say is this. uh, Success is as much a temptation and a danger as it is anything. Uh, We're still not trying to be successful. Just every day we ask the question, how can we serve? What good thing can we do? See, this is an animentality. You don't try to strategize of of, of how to always have this impact. The question isn't how can I be successful by any kind of standards the world would measure as success, but rather how can I be faithful? And faithful is always about service in whatever form it takes. How can I just do what God is calling us to do? And, and see, I, Woodland Hills, uh, we've hung our hat on this one. And so this is largely a reminder, but, but, but I, I think God wants to take us up a notch. Uh, we want to be a St. Anna church, amen? Which means it's not going to be a criteria for us of success as to how many people are coming or how many people aren't coming or how big is the offering or how little is the offering. We, we just, we'll trust God for that, trust that God's working in people's life. But what is the criteria of success for us is this. Are we corporately doing what Jesus did on the cross when he died for those who were crucifying him? Are we coming under people in Calvary kind of love? I'll tell you that what jazzes me, what floats my boat, is, is not a crowd. I, I, I love all of you, you know, but, but, but my su- criteria of success isn't that you all came today. And I'm not going to get discouraged if you don't come back next week. I, I'll, I'll be puzzled, but, but, but I, I'm not going to let that be a discouragement. 
I, I think there was a time when, when I kind of used to get up when, when, when the crowd was there, and then you get down when the crowd's not there. And so God taught me, ignore the crowd and ignore all those criteria. What jazzes me, what floats my boat, what rocks my world is when I hear about somebody who decided to give up a Saturday morning and, and help serve in the homeless shelter. That rocks my world, praise God. When I hear about people who are volunteering uh, a couple hours a week to help out of the Ames Elementary School, to help uh, inner city kids learn how to read, man, that jazzes me, that makes me want to dance. You know, th th that's the kingdom that's going. When I hear about small groups who are, who are going to reservations and, and ministering with the Native Americans, man, that just, that just rocks my world, rocks my world. When I hear about people who have felt led to adopt children in their home. That's fantastic. That's, that, that's doing good in the world. When I hear about people who have decided to adopt their neighborhood and to pray over their neighborhood and pick up their neighborhood, and some of our small groups are doing that. That rocks my world. I love that. That jazzes me. When I hear about small groups that are going to, to other shelters and helping with people, uh, kids with disabilities and things of that sort. That's the kingdom. That is the kingdom of God because that looks like Jesus Christ. Amen. So our, the I... Our eye has got to be this. You know, just keep your eyes open, and when you see something good to do, do it. And it could be in your own neighborhood. It could be something associated with, with the church. It, it doesn't, what matters is that you're walking with your eyes open, and you just say, what good thing can I do? What good word can I say? How can I serve the world around me? We're called to be servants, not judges, and, and, you know, not people sowing seeds on the highway, but cultivating fertile soil by, by loving one person at a time. Individually, it applies to your life as well. The Anna question is simply this, Lord, how would you have me to serve? And he'll tell you. He'll tell you. He'll put it on your heart. And it doesn't matter whether it's a big thing or a little thing. Don't just, just put that out of your brain as any kind of having any relevance whatever, whatsoever. What matters is that you do what God calls you to do. And when God calls you to pray, you pray. And we're all called to pray. Some more than others. I, I don't think anyone here is going to be called to spend all their time in the church uh, for 64 years praying. But we're all called to pray on some level. Just obey. Uh, if God calls you to be an usher, be an usher. If he calls you to help out with folding bulletins, fold bulletins. If you want to be part of the maintenance staff and fix up walls like some people here are doing and, 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 and clean toilets, uh, then, then, then do that. That's a good thing to do. If you're, part, if, if you're called to be part of the, the prayer ministry, the altar ministry, or you're, you're called to uh, you know, be, be in the choir or or whatever the ministry may be, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter who notices or who doesn't notice it. It doesn't matter how much recognition it gets or it doesn't get. Doesn't, that's utterly irrelevant. What matters is that you're where God wants you to be and you're doing what God calls you to do. In fact, let me say this. If you're called to fold bulletins or to help clean up the building or something like that, it may be right now, I'm just, I can imagine this, that there's somebody here who... You know, you have a little ministry. Maybe it's folding bulletins, you know, so we can have bulletins on, on the weekend. Or, or maybe it's setting up chairs or whatever it is. And see, if the world's criteria of success gets on the inside, you can start feeling pretty bad about yourself. And you think that you're just a nobody, that you've got nothing to offer, that you've got no really great talents, that you're not one of the special people, you know, because you're looking at your life and you're looking at the world, uh, you know, comparatively, and you're using the world's standards. And what I want you to see is this. Uh, in God's eyes, and therefore, this is what is true, because God sees perfectly accurately. If you're folding a bulletin and you're doing it with all your heart and, and you're pouring yourself into that, you're, you're bleeding for the kingdom, and folding a bulletin is every bit as important as what I'm doing right this very minute. 
It's every bit as important as what Norm does. It's every bit as important as what anyone out there, with the Rick Warrens of the world or the Joel Osteens or, or any of the people that, that tend to get the spotlight. And, and, and God, you know, I'm not preaching against that. I think what I'm doing is an important thing, but that's because this is what God called me to do. But what you're doing is just as important by kingdom standards. So, so don't feel, take pride in that. Uh, not in an ungodly way, but feel good about that. Have satisfaction. If you're doing what God calls you to do, then, then drink deeply of the satisfaction of a job well done. If he calls you to be in a, in a, in a ministry that no one even knows about. We, we've, we've got one lady in particular here, I know that for the last 13 years, she just comes here quietly and walks around the auditorium and prays. You don't know who she is. Uh, I, I know who she is. I'm probably the only one. Uh, but uh, God knows who she is, and great is her reward in heaven. She's just being faithful, just being faithful. Whatever else is going on, she's always there just doing, doing her prayer. Pray as God leads you. Minister as God leads you. Do the good things that, that God calls you to do. And just forget every other consideration about who knows it or who doesn't know it or how it measures in terms of the world's su- success. In fact, uh, someone didn't turn off the phone. Katya. Katya. Um, in fact, as I'm reading the Bible, see, we serve an odd God, and as I'm reading the Bible, if anything, you can make a case that when you're folding the bulletin and you're doing things that are, you know, uh, in secret that no one knows about, your private little five hours that you donate to fix walls or whatever, if anything, what you're doing is more important than what I'm doing. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 12 that those parts of the body, we're all part of the body, we all got a role to play, those parts of the body that seem least significant are the most significant. You need them most. Oh, we just got to get this into our, in, into our heads. That, that not measure anything by the, the world's criteria. We measure success by faithfulness. Take whatever it is that God calls you to do and do it with passion and t- be satisfied with it and pour yourself into it and stay open to how God will lead you in doing that. But, the, but God measures success not by external criteria but by faithfulness. So the first principle of a saint and a Christian is you don't strive for success, you strive for service. The second principle is this. A saint and a Christian cultivates a private relationship with God. A private relationship with God. Anna had a private relationship with God. Most of her life was spent. I got, anyone want some gum? Here, you got some gum. Um, look at, look at, look at, look at. This woman, most of her life was spent in solitude, praying, worshiping, fasting, and then, as the Lord would lead, prophesying. If God wasn't real to her, that would be torture, wouldn't it? And this is why a lot of modern people would look at her life and think, oh, that would be torture. That would just be terrible. Um, you, 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 you stay in a building for 60-plus years without God, and we call it a prison. No other humans around there, no television. Think of this, no television, no TV, no computer, no Internet. She was, all she had was, 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 was God there. If God's not real, this woman is in sad shape, which is why a lot of contemporary people would tend to feel bad for her. Oh, poor Anna, so sad. The other woman, she just said nothing. Going. Well, look at God had to be real for Anna. And I envisioned this woman being in this temple, spending all this time with God, and God's real to her. I don't think she was really lonely. Uh, there may have been times, for sure, but, but God was real to her. God was her best friend. God was her lover. God was her companion. God was a reality to her. And she just talked to God and worshiped God and obeyed God all day long. And, and, and I, 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 I can imagine this woman having more joy and more peace and more authority in the spiritual realm than, than, than many of us ever dream of. Uh, she spent that time, and, and it all, 
I don't, I don't doubt that she changed the world more than most of us will ever change the world because she was doing it through the authority of prayer. But God was real to her, which gives us this principle. Listen now to this. The only way to really cultivate a sense of God's reality and to cultivate a real, genuine, transforming relationship with God is by having private time with God. To carve out a space in your busy life where you're disciplined about having a private time with God. What is so easy to do, especially in our day and age, is to have our relationship with God be defined by externals, by, uh, by, by what we do in public. Our Christianity is a public thing. We think about God when we're at church, because everyone's thinking about God, but otherwise we don't. And we pray when we're at church and everyone's praying, but otherwise we don't. And we maybe read the Bible when everyone's reading the Bible at church, but otherwise we don't. And, and uh, uh, so our relationship with God is defined publicly. You know, when, when Prince Charles and Princess Diane were going through their interesting mess, uh, and they're always in the tabloids because they were getting a divorce, or like that was a rumor, and he had some other person that he liked, or some, I forget how it went. But anyways, I remember a commentator saying, I think it was on CNN, said this, that uh, towards the very end, Prince Charles and Prince, Princess Diane had a quote-unquote merely public marriage. A merely public marriage. That is to say, they acted sort of married when they were in public because that's what royalty is supposed to do. So they said the right things and they tried to be cordial to one another in public, though clearly that got increasingly difficult for, for, for Di. Uh, but uh, they, they tried to keep a, a semblance of a marriage, but it was publicly defined. The public defined the quality of their marriage, which means they didn't really have a marriage. They had no private relationship, no, no real relationship. And my worry is that many contemporary kingdom people have a sort of Prince Charles and Princess Diane relationship with God. It's defined externally. And praise God for times where we, we get together and worship God publicly and we pray publicly. There's a power and a unique authority in that. But what I'm saying here, and this is what the main thing God impressed on me to share, is that the quality of your public uh, uh, relationship with God is defined by the quality of your private relationship with God. In fact, it is really impossible possible for you to make any real progress in growing in the Christian life and getting free of strongholds in your life, any real progress in, in growing in spiritual understanding, any real progress in growing in spiritual authority. It, it, it's impossible for you to really grow in a sense of the reality of God if you're not spending quality private time with God or you just talk to God alone. Uh, and, and you listen to God alone, and you worship God alone, and you get into the Word with God alone, there's got to be a time that we carve out in our life that's alone for God. And I know how hard it is. It, 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 the life gets really, really busy. And we are all systematically conditioned by the demonic matrix of our culture to instinctively put more value on what is seen than what is unseen. But God does it the other way around. It's what you do privately that is the main quality determiner of your life. God recently has been dealing with me on this. Every couple of years, he's got to slap me up the side of his head and say, okay, Greg, you know, come on, I want a little more time with you. You know, you, you, you're starting to cut corners again. And, and you know, I, and it's good to pray all day long, and I do that, and you talk to God all day long, or whatever. And that's wonderful. In fact, it's necessary. Integrate God into every area of your life. But there is no substitute for the special alone time, really alone, you and God. 
What would my marriage with my wife be like if we never really talked and never really romanced and never did anything unless we were in public? That would be a pretty, pretty empty marriage. So it is with our relationship with God. It, it, the, the, the number one influencer of, and determiner of the quality of our relationship is the time we spend alone with God. So God has recently been telling me he wants the first 30 minutes. First 30 minutes. I want to get out of bed. And he got so specific, he said, that, that means before coffee. Before coffee. And you would think that that's kind of silly to be that specific. But in my case, it's very important because the minute I get coffee, my brain starts going. And once my brain starts going, it, it, this happens so many times. I'd be going upstairs, you know, with my coffee, and I said it, and I'm sipping some coffee. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Here's an idea. And I write down the idea. And oh, that reminds me of something I saw in a book, and I get the book. I start reading the book. And then I start, you know, and I just start. Three hours later, I'm still doing my research. So God says, okay, before coffee, I get your attention. And I'm like, well, but God, I'm brain dead before I get coffee. And God says, well, then you'll have to just trust me to be your, your temporary caffeine. I'll, I'll help you with the brain cell thing. And there's just a quality to that. There's no magical number, whether it's 15 minutes or a half hour. You know, start with what you can start with and try to listen to God on this stuff. But my point here is this. We've got to, everybody say got to. We've got to carve out some private time with the Lord. Several years back, this is an ongoing thing, with, a struggle with me, uh, but several years back, there's this lady who, who used to go to our church. She now has her own ministry. Uh, a, a real, uh, oh, I just love this, this woman, um, about 70 years old, African-American woman. And she, she was sort of like, you know, my, my mom. She would call me hun and son and honey and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and one day, she, she called me up and she said, you know, can I just meet with you for a second? I've got something I, w- I want to share with you. And so, you know, we made an appointment and she came in. And then she came and she just said this. She sat down and she goes, well, I, I'm just here because God, hon, God, honey, God loves you so much. She grabs my child, uh, my, my hand. She goes, child, God loves you so much. And he wants more time with you. It's like, oh, man. It's Nathan the prophet saying, thou art the man, but she does it so sweet, so convicting. It's like, ah, honey, God wants more time with you. And it's just, he loves you so much. He just wants, he wants more time with you. I feel like God's saying that to all of us right now. There may be a few who, right, you, you know, you're, you're, you're right where you're supposed You're doing all you're supposed to be. But most of us, most of us honestly can hear this word. God's grabbing your hand, looking in your eyes and saying, Honey, honey, I love you so much. Can we have some more time together? Could you just like carve it out? Make it, make it a date that you don't violate because something else came up. Uh, morning's probably the best time because the day gets really, really busy, and the Bible puts a, pri- a priority on the morning. But whenever it is, honey. In fact, some here, maybe the Lord's saying this. Honey, I miss you. I, I miss you so much. We used to have time together. And I, we haven't talked for a long time, and I'm trying to get your attention, and you just, you're so distracted. I'll tell you this. There are some of us here who are dealing with issues that would largely disappear if we carved out more time to be alone with God. We become Marthas where we try to fix everything with our own ingenuity and our own, because we're systematically conditioned by the demonic matrix of our culture to think that it's what we do with our bodies and what we do with our ingenuity that makes the difference in our life. And use all your ingenuity and, and all your fixed skills you can to fix the relationships and other things in your life. Fine. But I'm telling you, connect the dots here the best thing you can do for every aspect of your life is to carve out that time where you cease from activity and you just get together with God. 
and you talk to God. Sometimes you intercede on behalf of the church with your bulletin or you pray for your family. You're doing intercession and God will bring people to mind. Other times, it's just good to put on a tape and worship the Lord. Other times, I, I just like to sit and I just picture Jesus in my mind as the Holy Spirit makes him real to me. And he says to me all the things he's already said in his word, but now he says it. Uh, I can see his eyes, his loving eyes as he's saying it to me. And he's got my name attached to it. And it just feeds me. It just feeds me. And as he feeds me, it weans me from idols because I no longer am walking around being needy, trying to you know, get people, trying to get my life from the world. Yeah, I got to drink from that well all the time. Honey, honey, God wants more time with you. God wants more time with you. Would you close your eyes? Could, could I, uh, Dave, are you here? Holy Spirit, how do you want me to end this service? Okay, here's what I want to do. Can we stand? Don't leave. <laughs> close your eyes. Holy Spirit, talk to us. Right now, how does the Holy Spirit want to apply this message to your life? Could I ask the prayer team to come forward here? And if there's overseers here, I'd like to invite you uh, to come forward. And pastors, if you want to come forward, and just line up here uh, on these stairs. We're really all out of time. But I want to open this up. If God is talking to you, uh, that, that you need to make a commitment here. You need to turn a corner, repent of maybe the way you've been ignoring God, and now I need to come forward, need to commit. I want you to come forward if you want to pray with somebody about that. If you want to just come and kneel here, you can do that. Can I get the uh, prayer team altar and just face the auditorium so they know who you are? And, uh, and, and pray with some of these people. If you have any need, really, you can come forward. Because, um, honey, he wants more time with you. Let's close with this as our prayer. And as we're singing this and worshiping God with this and declaring this, Feel free to come forward and join in prayer with these folks or just kneel at uh, the front altar. Draw me close to you, Lord. Oh, Lord, draw us close. Honey, he wants more time with you. Amen. Sing it to the Lord. Sing it as a prayer. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. Lay it all down again, hallelujah, to hear you say that I'm your friend. Mm. You are my desire. Feel free to come forward if the Lord's moving in your life. No one else will do. Declare it. Cause nothing else can take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace. Mm. Help me find the way, bring me back to you. Praise God. People are coming forward. Feel free, just come forward. Pray. Amen. Mm. Declare it. You're all I want. Yes, you are, Lord. You're all I've ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you are near. You're all I want. 
Yes, you are, Lord. You're all I've ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you are near. Help me know you are near. One more time. Help me know you are near. Mm. Holy Spirit, would you just now seal this message in our hearts? Because the devil will try to get us to forget about it by the time we get home. Holy Spirit, we give you permission. Agree with me in prayer if this is your heart. We give you permission to nag us, to remind us. Oh, Lord, be a magnet. Be a magnet to our life that draws us close, that puts in us a passion to be with you and a conviction that this is important. And, Lord, free us from the blindness that prohibits us from seeing the connection between what we do in the closet and the quality of our life. Lord God, to help us be motivated to get into the closet where no one sees but you see, and to grow in us that real relationship, that vibrant relationship with you, Lord God. Thank you for, God, just caring about us enough to nag us, to say, honey, honey, I love you. I want more time with you. I miss you. Lord God, speak to us. And as we leave this place, help us to have our eyes open to do good, to serve out of the fullness of life that comes from spending quality time with you. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Okay, now look at it, look at it. You who are up here, just keep on praying. As long as you want to stay up here, just, that's fine. Just pray. If you want to pray with somebody or on your own, just, just keep on praying. Seek God. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you need to. Up here to my right and your left, there's a person who would just love to explain to you how to do that. Go out. Build a kingdom. Do good stuff. Spend time with God. Bless you.